Hello, hello, hello. Hello, everybody. Hey, I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. You're here for Comic Book Herald Live. Thanks so much for joining today. We're going to talk about this week's comics. We're going to talk about what's going on in the world of comics, in the world of pop culture, things that I am interested in writing about and working on and all that stuff here on the live stream. But of course, first and foremost, we're going to be talking about Judgment Day number six. This is the last issue, technically kind of, sort of, of the six-issue event series that Marvel's been publishing this summer. Uh, it is going to be followed by a Judgment Day Omega kind of uh, a nightcap, which I believe comes out either next week or two weeks from now. Um, but we're going to talk about that stuff. So if you're here with us live, thanks so much for joining. We are going to have a spoiler-filled conversation when we talk about Judgment Day specifically uh, as we talk about the comics in some details. I may also want to reference a little bit uh, today's issue of Wolverine, which was Wolverine number 26, and X-Men number 16, which came out last week. A couple big reveals at the end of those comics that I think we got to talk about a little bit, okay? Uh, I'm seeing some celebration here in the chat of Hatless Dave. It's true, Hatless Dave is here today. <laughs> We're busting that out. Um, I ha I don't think I've shaved. I'm seeing some celebration of the beard as well. I don't think I've shaved since the time I shaved like right before a live stream and y'all bullied the hell out of me <laughs> for, for not having a beard. Um, are those things related? Almost certainly. Almost certainly. I've thought about it ever since. I haven't slept. Uh, and that has nothing to do with just having a house of horrors of of sick kids and, and just germs flying everywhere. Definitely, definitely beard-related sleepless nights, um, of which I'm sure many of you have had as well. So I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, I mean, listen, we're going to have to trim it. We're going to have to trim it at some point here in the nearest future. But for the time being... Um, let it ride, let it ride, baby. Right. I think, uh, I think that's what we're going to do. So, all right, let's talk about some comics today. Um, again, if you join us live, thanks so much. Getting your questions here in the chat, getting your thoughts. It's all super appreciated. Uh, super chat is open and available for those of you that want to do so. I will prioritize those. And I've already got a good question here from Marcos, um, about X-Men number 16, which came in last week. So let's, let's actually talk about that one first. Cause that was a comic that came out last week. Uh, we didn't do a stream because there wasn't that much going on. And uh, we can talk about that one. So again, last warning, there are going to be some spoilers that follow the conversation of the comics here specifically. Uh, if you're reading them, great. If you're not, check them out and then come back maybe and uh, and see what's up. Okay, so X-Men number 16. The big reveal at the end of this is Forge goes into the vault, Children of the Vault, uh, after the the probably the best back-to-back issues of the Jonathan Hickman run on X-Men, right? Non-House um, House and Powers, you know, included. Um, Children of the Vault, we, we thought that Laura and Sink had escaped. Sink was like the only one who had escaped, you know, intact. We thought Laura made it out and then like died there. Um, but then she, so she, Laura and Sink had been revived. They're currently both on the X-Men roster as well. We thought Darwin was left behind in the vault, like captured by the vault, which was fairly interesting because there were references to the children of the vault studying his mutant abilities of, you know, adaptability, right? Just sort of forever adaptability. And, um, you know, there was potential for like, okay, is Darwin going to join the children of the vault? Um, is this character going to have a role here? Is there any Darwin story that could possibly be told? 
And one thing we've learned in in the history of X-Men comics and X-Men media, X-Men first class included, is if given the chance to tell an interesting Darwin story, the writers and creators involved will always avoid that opportunity. <laughs> That's what happens here in X-Men number 16. The big reveal at the end of the issue as Forge sneaks in and he finds that it is in fact Laura. It is old woman Laura who is trapped in the vault uh, sarcophagus or whatever it is, not Darwin. And his findings here, his takeaway, I would argue on not enough evidence, but his takeaway that he reports back to the council is actually Darwin died. So we can resurrect him, right? We can go ahead and give him a priority resurrection cue. Um, Laura is still here. So now we got two Wolverines. Actually, we got three, right? Because we got Logan still as well. But we got two Laura Wolverines. One old, in love with Sink. One young, confused by Sink's advances. <laughs> okay. Um, it was a surprising twist. I don't, lo I don't like it more than the potential of Darwin stories, right? Like, I don't think it's better than what could have been there. Um, but it's it surprised me. Definitely. Okay, but that but that was not Marcus's question. Marcus's question was regarding last week's X-Men number 16, who do you think the third mutant, Forge and Mr. Sinister, turned into a tool is? Probably Alex Summers, big tool. But um got him. Uh no, okay, so they they uh and Marcos asked, was it Kid Omega? So Forge goes to Sinister and he's like, I need your help, I need some DNA, I need some mutant tools. Uh, one of the tools he gets is Caliban, who he wears like a suit of armor, okay, for tracking purposes. The other is Mystique for shape-shifting purposes. And, and the third is unknown, a mystery, okay? The, the little bit that we learn here is, um, the DNA is not readily accessible by Mr. Sinister, okay? That is... He tells Ford, you'd have to go to the cradle to get that. You'd have to have access to the cradle, which Ford does because he created the various Cerebro cradles. This is where Professor X stores the backups of mutant kind. I think there's five, maybe a sixth for redundancy, um, but I've stopped counting. <laughs> okay. But regardless, Ford does have access, but he has to go there specifically. And Marcus is saying, okay, who would be only accessible through the cradle right now? and not through, like, Sinister having actual DNA samples, right? Um, Kid Omega is an interesting theory because Kid Omega is stuck in some sort of non-resurrectable purgatory right now, post-X-Force. Uh, other options that would be, like, they aren't resurrectable or, or Sinister can't do stuff with them. I mean, it feels like Professor X and Magneto could potentially be in the conversation, here, um, but Sinister could also very easily get DNA from them. He's on the Quiet Council with them, so I don't know why that would be the case. Uh, my mind jumped quickly to uh, uh, Quicksilver, <laughs> actually, because, you know, Wanda's got backups now. Um, you know, she's been through the resurrection process. What about Speedy McQuick? Uh, but that feels like a weird left turn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's an interesting question. So I don't know, get in your theories, get in your thoughts. Um, I'm seeing a comment here. It could be Franklin Richards. That's a good one. That's a really good one because Franklin Richards is 
to my knowledge, still not considered a mutant post Dan Slott, <laughs> weirdly destructive storytelling decision. Like, 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 what was the point of that? What was the point? What was accomplished by taking Franklin out of the Omega level mutant sector? Genuinely, I would love to know <laughs> what, what happened there and was it youthful? Um, otherwise, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a vaguely interesting mystery, I think. So, all right, let's see. What comments do we got here? Any thoughts uh, that are coming in that are interesting? Do you think Darwin could still be alive and show up later? Um, I mean, yeah, probably. Like, yes, you could. You could. I don't think that's what is going to happen here. I think Jerry Duggan wants to resurrect that character and have them come back as if they actually died in the vault. Like, I, I don't think there's a secret to that. Um, I think it'd be more interesting potentially, and more complex if there was, but I'm kind of, I'm taking that at face value because everything about this run is, is pretty face value. Um, who is this old man on my screen? It's me. <laughs> this is Dave. Sorry. I should, I should have mentioned, uh, Dave's father will be, you can call me Mr. Busing today and I'll be hosting, uh, hatless, aggressively balding with a gray old beard. <laughs> That's how we're doing it today. Um, let's see. Oh my God, you look so different. Really? That different? <laughs> From when? <laughs> like, like my wife sent me a picture of, um, I don't even know. It must have been when we were in college. And do you do the side-by-side -side of that fresh-faced young pup <laughs> and me with this angry old man beard right now? Uh, that's a difference. That's a difference. But compared to what I've been seeing uh, on, on YouTube live streams. I don't think I'm seeing it. Uh, all right. Any other theories here? Da, da, da. Let's see. Um, David Holler. Uh, yeah, I don't know why Sinister wouldn't have his DNA either. He was all over Krakoa as well. So yeah, yeah, I'm not seeing it, but Hey, it's a good question. It's a good question. All right, let's dive in. Let's talk about judgment day number six. Cause that is the biggest comic definitely that came out today but keep your thoughts coming keep your questions coming and we will address as many as we can okay judgment date number six the conclusion of this event it's the end of the world as we know it and we all feel fine judgment day has sold really effectively like that that sense of oh like everyone's losing and the marvel universe is actually getting destroyed better than events almost ever can. Literally billions of people in the Marvel Universe died during this event, during the progenitor Dark Twisted Celestials turn and, and decision to, to destroy Earth. Um, that doesn't usually happen. Events don't generally result in billions of lives lost. Now, the big question, obviously, with all of this is, because not only is it just like, us, like the, the randos, <laughs> you know, um, but it's like, you know, it's Marvel heroes and, and characters and licensed intellectual property. Can't do that. Can't do that with all these characters. Um, and of course you can't do that. So the question throughout has been like, all right, how are we going to put the toys back in the box? Judgment Day number six has the unenviable task of doing that. Now, my theory this whole time has been well, it's probably going to be like a Sins of Sinister thing. It's probably going to be Mr. Sinister has Moira DNA. Um, Mr. Sinister has a chance to um, reset the timeline, 
right? But we saw in a previous issue, I think it was Immortal X-Men, Sinister going to his <laughs> his weird turtle friend who apparently triggers the the, the resets. Uh, we need a lot more information about Mr. Sinister's turtle. Uh, I think all of us collectively, and I'm not going to be able to do it while I'm talking here, but I promise all of us collectively need to figure out what tortoise-based pun drove Kieran Gillen to, to to setting up a situation where Mr. Sinister has a like tortoise lab henchman. Okay, um, that's your job today. Figure out what was the pun that brought us there. But regardless, what we saw in that scene was Mr. Sinister was like trying to reset the timeline, and it wasn't working for whatever reason. So he seemed like unbothered, but also maybe kind of trapped in this Judgment Day with the rest of us. All of which is to say. Sinister was not the one who reset things and, like, saved the day. That actually didn't happen. That didn't happen yet, um, which I'm here for. I think that's good. I mean, partially, it's like, well, we got, like, two months before Sins of Sinister. Um, so there have to be kind of follow-up issues here and X-Men issues about saving the day. Now, maybe, I think what we'll probably find and what we'll learn is that, like, actually, Sinister has been through several Judgment Days and, um, you know, like, has, has reset it a number of times in order to get to this point where the Eternals and the X-Men and the Avengers all come together and actually find a way through this and and generally don't destroy the Earth. And then the actual explosion of the Sins of Sinister will be driven by potentially something else a little bit different. Um, It wasn't as good as that, I gotta say. So, like, this is a very good event. Let me start there. This is one of the best Marvel event comics. It's really effective. Um, event stories are very hard to tell, and Karen Gillen came in and did a really spectacular job at, I mean, the degree of difficulty, and I've said this probably word for word a hundred times now, the degree of difficulty on making an Eternals event one of the best Marvel events of all time, put that challenge before someone two years ago even, right? It wasn't happening just was not happening. The Eternals were not that big. There's not that much investment in the franchise. And folks just like, like there has never been an Eternals event, you know? And I know, yes, it's called Avengers X-Men Eternals. The core of this is the Eternals all the way through. I mean, this is the extension and the ending of Kieran Gillen's run on Eternals with Asad Ravage. You know, it's just got Valerio Shidi on art, and it's called a Marvel Universe event. But this is an Eternals event through and through. And the fact that it's as good as it is, um, is, is again, like just a tremendous degree of difficulty. Okay? That's really impressive. That's really impressive. So credit where it's due there. I don't think it is, like I've seen some people be like, oh, this is the best Marvel event. It's not. It's really not. It's very good. And it's definitely one of the best in some time. Um, And that's awesome. That's awesome. I love it for that. I was a wee bit disappointed with the ending. A wee bit. Okay? I got to admit it. It was, I mean, listen, it's like one of those things where you know what's going to happen. The question is just how. And I think it was done very effectively. If you've read Gillen and Ribich's Eternals run and you have some investment in these characters in Cersei, you know, like like the whole turn of Judgment Day 
is predicated on your investment level in Cersei and to some degree Ajax. Cersei can kind of get away with because she's been the most interesting Eternal literally forever. Ajax? <laughs> even now, even now, I'm like, wow, Ajax had a huge flipping role in this event. Like, huge. <laughs> so outsized for how interesting and how important that character has been historically. You know? Um, and it works. It makes sense. Again, it. I I would be interested to hear from folks. Like, if you haven't read Eternals, the most recent run, you know, uh, I would be very interested to be like, what did you think of Judgment Day? Because I suspect it would feel underbaked uh, because a lot of this was built, you know, in previous in previous works, uh, in the previous Eternals run building up to this point. I just think it was so kind of essential and not secretly so. Everyone, including me, was saying that, you know, um, but but it was definitely hugely, hugely essential. So, yes, I was I was mildly disappointed that ultimately the build was like Cersei proves that Eternals can change. Okay, and she does so by admitting to Earth that Eternals resurrection protocols have been reliant on the death of humans since time immemorial. And in doing that, first off, called it, I called that, I absolutely called that the Eternals secret and curse would be revealed. Um, so feather in my cap. Let's put that up there. But Cersei changes of a sort. And in doing so, she is judged and hated for it, which is not something Cersei has wanted to welcome historically. And in seeing the way that she's willing to do that, the progenitor then kind of has the big, frankly, a bit cliched change of heart and decides, okay, fine, I'll use my tremendous powers to put all the toys back in the toy box. Okay, now, we knew the toys were going back in the toy box. I'm not surprised, okay? I'm actually a little surprised the toy box is as dented as it is, <laughs> right? After all this, like, cities are still destroyed, you know? Um, Cersei's still dead. Maybe some other characters, I suppose, we'll find out. Doesn't seem like a heck of a lot, though. I think, you know, most, again, most of the licensed characters, like the characters that, that this event is going to be remembered for having killed off are going to be Magneto, which, again, um, you know, I think is here to stay. It's definitely been written that way and I think is going to remain that way. And then Cersei, which will have, you know, no impact on you if you're an X-Men reader. <laughs> and and we'll see kind of what the, the state of the Eternals is going to be. I don't know. Um. But yeah, I mean, it was kind of, it's, it's a tricky thing to pull off because when you execute this much destruction and you have it as felt as it is and as earnest as it is, and again, like we made it all the way to the end without a deus ex machina saving, you know? I mean, Infinity Gauntlet, you think about that, Thanos snaps half the population away in the first issue. And I think it's restored maybe by like three or four. And then it's kind of a battle <laughs> to get um, uh, to get the Infinity Gauntlet, you know, away from him and then away from Nebula and on and on. It's a great event, right? Obviously, we all love it. Uh, but it's, the stakes there actually kind of don't feel, aren't as felt, I suppose, as Judgment Day. 
I would actually argue, um, which is no shade on Starlin and Lim and George Perez, obviously, because I do think Infinity Gauntlet is like, it's certainly a more memorable event. It's one you can, you can hand to somebody new a lot more easily than Judgment Day, I would say. Uh, but Judgment Day is more effective at having a theme, at having a message, and just through these vignettes, these short vignettes of just actual people living through the event. I mean, it's a little Astro City in that regard, right? It's a little Busiak and Ross Marvels of man on the street reaction and opinion and personality going through an event like this. It's just kind of wild how rarely you get that in these outside superhero events. There just isn't space for that. Um, and the fact that there was throughout this definitely helped keep it feel, keeping it, um, you know, leveled and, and grounded. And I think that was, that was very solid. I'm seeing a question here from Jordan, which is a really good question. And maybe part of what I'm, you know, haven't articulated in my own head yet, but is part of the disappointment that it didn't have major X-Men ramifications. Um, I mean, a little bit. Yeah, I suppose a little bit, right? That's certainly where my fandom is, is more attentive. Uh, and it, it doesn't again, like that's when I'm saying this is an Eternals event through and through, that's a huge part of it, right? Is like the major fallout of all of this is Eternals related, you know, um, the progenitor kills Cersei. Eternals don't have resurrection anymore, seemingly because they don't want to kill humans in doing so. So Cersei's off the table. Okay. We get Ajax turned into uh, a Celestia is how Gillen refers to her. So she's like a new god, right? And there's all this conversation throughout this event, and I think it's a very interesting conversation. Something Jason Aaron and, and Roy Bitch Tappen do very well in Thor God of Thunder, actually. Conversation around worthy gods, right? When you think about Gore the God Butcher and kind of what does it mean to have a worthy god? Can you create one? What would that look like? Those are really interesting, big questions um, that this book, again, to do it in six issues of an event comic that, also stars, you know, a giant robot blowing up the world. <laughs> like, that's cool. That's good. I'm glad it's here. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe that's part of it. I guess like the biggest, the biggest X-Men specific ramifications here are you get that little bit of Dark Reign era. Like when, so like when Norman Osborn comes in and like helps save the day in Secret Invasion, that then sets up Marvel's Dark Reign where Norman Osborn then is like running the Avengers and like in charge of the world and in the Nick Fury spot, right? You get a little bit of those vibes with some very underbaked, very quick scenes of Orcus showing up to fight the Progenitor. And apparently those were televised very effectively. <laughs> those ran in key times in some key demos because we see outside the X-Men tree a little kid with a Nimrod balloon. Like, like those, Orcus showed up and publicized it so effectively that they've already got balloons made. Were the balloons made before they showed up? Did they have the Nimrod balloons like sitting in their satellite around the sun just ready to go? You can expect these questions and more when I do interview Karen Gillan <laughs> next weekend. Um, it'll be after the Omega issue. I wanted to do it after the actual Omega issue kind of capstone on it all. Uh, so that's that's when that interview is coming. I've seen a few of you ask. Um, it'll be live streamed. I think we're doing it 
November, it's November 5th or 6th, I think the 6th maybe, um, but obviously I'll post that on the YouTube at some point. But anyway, like, yeah, so like they got Nimrod balloons out here, <laughs> okay? So Oregon's getting a ton of credit. I mean, give their, give their PR person a raise, you know? Give their PR person a huge raise because they were in this event <laughs> for what, like 112th? <laughs> you know, uh, give that give that PR person in the marketing team a whole bunch of raises. The other the other development here, which is slightly more defined, is Jean Grey sets up what she's calling the Phoenix Foundation for human resurrection backups. Okay, so one of the big developments here on the X Men side of things was Krakoa does resurrect Captain America, basically just to have him out as like a figurehead and kind of a tactical strategist in terms of trying to take down the progenitor, to try to restore some hope. But in doing so, they reveal and admit that they can, in fact, resurrect humans. Um, so now Gene is doing this with basically like those in need uh, and those who are suffering who would benefit the most from this Phoenix Foundation. That's interesting stuff. And it ties in nicely to what her and Scott are and have kind of trying to be doing with, with this X-Men unit of like showing, again, like mutants are here to help, you know, which is kind of their initiative. So that that's interesting. And it's a great Jean bit. I, mean, I think there's some actually like surprisingly good Jean Grey character development stuff throughout this event that I just didn't expect because I didn't necessarily expect it to be like a big Jean book. Um, but that's kind of it from the X-Men side, you know, and it's, you know, one of the things that's interesting is like we talked a bunch about like, oh, okay, when's Apocalypse showing up? When's Thanos showing up? Um, Gillen avoids all that. Just, just hundred percent avoids it. And that is definitely like avoiding taking the easy way out. Like it's a much easier thing, I think, to, to, you know, move some units. If you're like, Hey, this is the issue where Thanos fights Apocalypse or, or even where Apocalypse fights Uranus, frankly. Um, and he avoided it. Would I have really liked that? <laughs> of course. Of course. I don't know about the Thanos bit because, you know, Gillen did his Thanos thing. And it's really good in the Eternals run. Um, it could have been the Apocalypse moment. It wasn't. They avoided that. Okay. So, so yeah, like it is, it is super Eternals focused. I think the developments, I, I, I'm not bothered by like the state of ramifications, I suppose, um, so much as the progenitor just having a change of heart and kind of just undoing everything that was done it's a little too easy. It's a little too easy. Again, I'm critiquing something that I think is very good. I like this event a lot, but I did want a little more to it than that. Um, and it wasn't there. I don't know, but I'm curious. What did you all think? Like, do you agree? Disagree? Uh, you know, get those thoughts here in the comment as well as I take a big old swig of water. Let's see. It would be interesting if anyone brought back with mutant resurrection would now have an X gene. Scarlet Witch would be a mutant again, maybe Cap. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's going to be the case. You know, I'd be pretty surprised. Like, if, <laughs> if Greco was secretly sneaking X-Genes into everyone they resurrected, um, that'd be a scandal. That would actually be very uh, original X-Men movie. Wasn't that Magneto's thing, right? Like, when he, when he turns that senator into jelly in a scene that, that really messed up little 12 year old Dave, <laughs> like when that Senator puts his head in the bars and just like turns into a puddle that, that was my first horror movie. I think, I think it's fair to say <laughs> that scene scared the hell out of me. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think 
that's probably going to be true. Could they do it? I mean, that's kind of the thing with the resurrection now is it's just like, you know, if like, oh, they can resurrect humans. Like, what can't they do? Like, if they wanted to resurrect Wanda, but with mutant genes, clearly they can do that. <laughs> you know, clearly. Um, but, you know, it's it's just going to be a matter of is that a story somebody is going to tell? Uh, this isn't relevant to Judgment Day, but I have to address this. JD says here, I was listening to My Marvel This Year which is the podcast I host where we go through the history of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. We are approaching the year 2000 in our read-through of the history of Marvel Comics. Um, but he says, I was listening to 1985 and heard how much you love Secret Wars 2. Okay, got to address this. Secret Wars 2 <laughs> is... Is it the worst event of all time? I think it is. It is... I think it's like my fifth least favorite comic of all time. Okay? It is remarkably low. <laughs> on the ranked list, which I, I fastidiously update. Uh, last on the list is Marvel. Marvel is the worst comic of all time that I have ever read, and I cannot see it. I cannot imagine it being unseated, frankly. Um, I just, I don't, I don't think it'll happen. Uh, Secret Wars 2 is not that bad, but it's like top, bottom five bad. Okay, <laughs> it's like bottom five. Um, so I have to, I don't, I, I, maybe you're, you're being sarcastic. This is the internet, who can tell? But just like, I cannot let that go, I have to say. <laughs> I do not love Secret Wars 2. Anyone who says that is a liar and a fink, unless you're joking, in which case, I appreciate you listening. <laughs> you mentioned how the X-Men tie-ins were good, but have you read Daredevil's tie-ins? Thoughts? Uh, the X-Men tie-ins in Secret Wars 2 are actually good. Chris Claremont does really good work with tie-ins. During that era, the New Mutants one in particular are really good. Have you read Daredevil's tie-ins? Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember those. I remember Daredevil Mutant Massacre tie-ins. I remember Daredevil Inferno tie-ins, uh, where he famously fights a possessed vacuum cleaner. But Secret Wars 2, I do not remember that one. Um, that's, that's, I guess that's between the Miller era, the miller Kelly era, um, or the Miller-Jansen and miller Kelly eras. So I don't know. If it's, if it's interesting, let me know. Let me know. I'm not opposed to checking out an old Daredevil comic. All right, what other comments we got? Uh, it's Super Chat here. Fierce asks, how do you rate the Eternals' apology to Araka? Uh, I think as apologies go, it's like a two out of five. Like a two out of five. Could have been a lot more genuine. Zurus could have been way more tactful. <laughs> okay. Um, what they actually gave to Araka, what was it? I didn't write it down. So they... They're like, hey, our guy, you know, devastated your planet, killed several of your leaders, took Iska off of your council, you know, by her own actions, and really messed with your power, you know, status quo, or quo, rather. Um, what did they give them? They gave them Uranus is imprisoned. They can't kill him because uh, it would destroy the planet. Okay, they gave, what was it, like, or I think it was like, they were going to give him a life sentence of Druid cleaning up their planet, um, but he's actually eternally imprisoned with Uranus instead, who seems all too eager to torture Druid for that entire time. So that's like a nothing, right? That's a big nothing. Like, he's not actually, <laughs> he's not actually cleaning up the planet. And even if he was, frankly, that would take way too long. Like, imagine if, like, you know, your whole block is devastated and they're like, all right, cool. We'll send the guy responsible to clean this up slowly over time, eventually. <laughs> like that's, that is insignificant. That is meaningless. 
Um, what else did he give him? What else did he give him? Like the powers of, well, oh, is the, the armory, right? Is the armory thing. So Uranus, the grandfather of Thanos, he has this armory of tremendously devastating weapons. And, uh, and I guess they were like, hey, Araka, you can have that armory for the same amount of time that Uranus used it, which would be an hour, I guess. Uh, so when, I guess not if, Araka's like, we're going to conquer something. <laughs> they get an hour of weapons. That feels not sufficient as well. I feel like given the devastation and massacre that was enacted against their planet, um, giving them more time with the weapons or just literally perpetual access to those uh, would be a more proportional response as opposed to like an eye for an eye here on the timing of it. Yeah, a pretty weak apology, I think. I mean, that's gonna come up later. Hopefully, Alvin can do something really cool with it in X-Men Red. But uh, but yeah, pretty weak apology. Honestly, even giving it a two out of five, I feel like maybe I overstated it. It might be a one. <laughs> it might be a one out of five. That was pretty weak stuff. Um, let me know if I forgot anything there. But I don't think I did. Now it's coming back to me. Good question, though. Good question. Um, all right, keep these questions coming. Let's see them. Let's see them. I definitely want to see. Let's see. We got 118 people on the stream right now. That's pretty solid. That's not bad. Thanks, y'all, for joining. I appreciate that. Uh, we're just talking Judgment Day. We're kind of wrapping that here uh, as far as ramifications go, as far as how good it was. I mean, I've seen some people ask, like, I've, you know, I've, I've probably talked about this, but like, okay, how good is it then, you know, in comparison to, to Marvel history? Um, I think I ranked it not too long ago, but I mean, certainly within the last, if we're going within the last 20 years, okay, so we go from like maximum security through today, so we're including the Bendis era of events and then the Hickman era of events and then, you know, the scattered stuff we've gotten post-Secret Wars. Um, I mean, it's not as good as Secret Wars, okay, so it's not number one. Uh, it's not as good as House and Powers, which I'm just going to go ahead and count as an event because it is too confusing to not anymore. Everybody gets confused by that, even though I don't really think of it that way. Okay, it's not a Marvel Universe event, but, you know, kind of it is. It's not that good, okay? So that, that puts it behind one and two. And then it's just like open season, basically, for Judgment Day, I think. Um, I liked it more than War of the Realms. I definitely liked it more in Empire. I liked it more in Devil's Reign. Um, liked it more than King in Black. I liked it more than Absolute Carnage. I'm not even looking at the list. I'm just thinking. Uh, I liked it more than Avengers vs. X-Men. I liked it more than... Maybe the one that I'm kind of a sucker... Like, I like Dark Reign. I like the Dark Reign era. But again, that's there's not an actual event book. It's more just like a setup and a thematic sort of line-wide thing that runs between Secret Invasion and Siege. Um, I'm a sucker for the Bendis era of events, like absolutely, although, but like, no, I would not put Secret Invasion above this. I think Judgment Day is definitely better. <sighs> Civil War, I mean, listen, I don't think Civil War is like actually really good, but no question, no question, it's memorable, it's important, and it's been like one of the easiest books you can just hand to somebody who's like getting into comics you know, and there is a lot of value in that. I mean, I definitely picked it up at a point where I didn't know what was going on in Marvel continuity. You know, I did not. And I read this thing and some stuff confused me, but it confused me in that way where I was like, I really want to know more about how often Doctor Strange and the Watcher hang out and talk about events. <laughs> you know, like there was that thing of like, I have to know more 
about Spider-Man revealed his identity. Like, what is going on with this character? Um, which is kind of like that. Like, sometimes that's an event's greatest, greatest weapon. Whereas, if like, if you gave somebody a trait of Judgment Day, you know, and you were like, oh, here, check this one out. I mean, it feels like a ball of confusion, you know, in a lot of ways. It's just, it's hard for me. It doesn't feel new reader friendly. And I, I don't even say that in a way of like denigrating it because often these things can feel too weighted towards new readers to the point that they don't have any heft. And I love that Judgment Day didn't. I love that it's super meaty and meaningful and flows so well out of previous works like The Eternals Run and Immortal X-Men. Like that is why I invest time in superhero comics continuity is to get that adding layer upon layer upon layer boost. And an event that builds on all that stuff is like for someone like myself, the most exciting, you know? That's why I like it that much. Um, but definitely if you're comparing new reader friendliness, Civil War would win out for sure. But yeah, I mean, I think Judgment Day is a better event. Um, it's interesting. It's an interesting question. So yeah, like I guess I've kind of got it mentally third right now. Well, actually no, because now you know what, and you know what I'm not counting in all this is Marvel Cosmic, right? We got to we got to look at the Abnett and Lanning era of Marvel Cosmic. Um, Annihilation certainly is better. Uh, that would probably go third. So we got Secret Wars. We got um, uh, oh boy, uh, House of X, and then we got Annihilation. I actually really like House of M too. House of M is very exciting until it's not. Um, this is tricky. I'm putting it top five. Okay, let's just leave it there. Let's not think about this too much longer. Then, like, now I've got it, like, eighth if I think about it too long. <laughs> but I can put it top five. I can do that. I think it works. Um, okay, let's see. I'm seeing a comment here from JJ. Judgment Day is not a top five or ten event. Sure, sure, you can think that, right? Some folks certainly will. Yeah, I, I think it's top five of the last 20 years. If we're going all time, top 10 conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing about when you go all time with Marvel, it doesn't add that much <laughs> to the consideration because uh, Marvel events are often kind of a mess. I mean, I think the old time stuff that I would include, I love the original Secret Wars. That's in my top five for sure. Uh, Inferno is really good. Inferno is very effective. Um, does anything in the 90s make it? You know, and this isn't just like general. I like Executioner's Song, actually. I'm a big Executioner's Song fan, but I'd put Judgment Day above that, I think, pretty easily. You know? Uh, oh, Infinity Gauntlet, right? Of course. Infinity Wars is an argument to be made. Jim Starlin's underrated follow-up. All right, talk enough about events. Talked enough about events. Yeah, everybody, I'm seeing James here says, now I have to go make a top 10 list. Everybody go home, make your top 10 list. Um, it's it's very, very well recommended. Always a good time. Uh, seeing here from Chris, I still love Infinity, but it is also pretty much just Hickman Avengers. Yeah, kind of impossible to separate. Kind of impossible to separate. It's just part of the run, certainly in my view. Uh, 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 any interesting comments here? Checking it out. Judgment Day was pretty amazing compared to all the previous ones in the last eight years. Sure, 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 sure. It's good. I mean, it's definitely better if you're reading the ongoing state of comics. I'm curious, like, you know, I mean, most of the people that come for these streams are, you know, you came to this through Crack and Krakow and you're probably big X-Men fans. Like, was this a good X-Men event? You know, because it's a good Marvel Universe event. 
I think it is, it's clearly the best Eternals event. <laughs> it is the Eternals event. Uh, is it a good X-Men event? Oh, no. I'm seeing Brian mention here, uh, Planet and World War Hulk, which I forgot, which I love. <laughs> Dang it. Okay, see? This is why you can't keep, you can't keep actually thinking of all the options because suddenly your rankings don't make sense anymore. <laughs> I'm still saying top five, though. I think we can keep it top five, right? If we keep, if we go Secret Wars, Annihilation, House, um, what was the other one? Planet, World War Hulk, that's four, and then, and then Judgment Day five. I think I feel okay about that. I feel okay about that. Um, but yeah, like, I think generally I was pretty pleased with this as an X-Men event as well, uh, you know, and, and fitting into the broader Marvel universe. You know, when you think about, okay, in the Krakoa era, what are the X-Men events that have happened? We had Ten of Swords, which was a straight up traditional X-Men crossover book. It doesn't involve any of the rest of the Marvel universe, right? And that was, the highs were very high and it was very muddled as a whole. But like, if you just read the core setup and the, whatever they called them, Omega Destruction, Alpha, stuff like that, Creation, Destruction, Stasis, that's what it is. Um, if you just read those, it's really good, really flipping good. You got Jonathan Hickman, Teeny Hauer, Pepe Larraz, all in sync, doing cool other world stuff. Um, but anyway, like that was, that was good, but super muddled. And they hadn't actually done a Marvel Universe event, you know, in the Krakoa era. I think as as the first of, of the Marvel events to do that during the Krakoa era, it's really effective in terms of talking about, okay, how is Krakoa actually viewed? Um, what are the actual relations right now between the X-Men and the various players and, of course, just the people of the world? I think that stuff's important. It's clearly a seed that the creators have been playing with in terms of, like, how Orcus is going to develop in power and, you know, as the protectors of humanity as we build towards what I'm anticipating Fall of X is going to be in a kind of a human versus mutant war, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think as an X-Men event, it's pretty good. Resurrection was super critical. It's very, it's public. They resurrected Captain America, right? It had developments there that are meaningful. Um, Nightcrawler did really cool stuff, <laughs> fighting Nimrod and Orcus and capturing Moira. I'll be curious to see if there's any interesting follow-up on that in Immortal X-Men. I kind of expect there will be. Um, because, you know, the last thing that happened in Immortal, written by Karen Gillan, was Nightcrawler captured Moira. But then we just see them show up here, Moira and Orcus, and fighting the progenitor, right? So we got, like, no follow-up in terms of, like, okay, what are the conversations? What are the agreements? What are the backroom deals that are being made here? Um, and uh, there probably needs to be more, you know? It's like it's like I'm, I'm hesitant to say more Moira after X Lives and X Deaths of Wolverine. But, you know, in this instance, in these hands, I think we can safely say more Moira. You know, doing your best Christopher Walken voice. You know, we need more Moira, uh, which I'm not going to do live because that is that could be a mess. <laughs> that could be bad. I'll do it in my Moira voice, though. Right. That, that I've got no problem with. We need more Moira. I think I think this song is missing a little bit of cowbell. Right. That's that's our Moira. OK, so there's Judgment Day number six. Uh, it's a good event. Um, it's definitely one of the better Marvel events. It was a fun time. I'm like I'm pretty interested, too, to be like, I don't know, like every Every inclination here is that, like, Gillen's probably done with the Eternals. Um, if there was a season... Because Gillen spent so much time in that really good Eternals run defining these this society and making them super interesting. And this event really resets and blows that up in a lot of pretty meaningful ways. 
So I am curious what a season two would look like. I, I'd be pretty surprised if there wasn't a new Eternal series announced. Um, if not, you know, directly in the wake of this, a little bit down the line. Uh, it's kind of, it's definitely, I mean, like anything, you know, it's going to come down to the creative team, though, to, to how invested I'm going to be in that. But it does feel like there's kind of a lot to do right now in terms of, like, who are the Eternals now? What is their role? Um, you got some interesting stuff that was done with Star Fox in this event in terms of, you know, his kind of leadership position and just being himself again in some ways. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty curious to see where that could go. But otherwise, I am pumped for Sins of Sinister. I'm pumped to get there. I think it's going to be awesome. And that all starts in January. That all starts in January. All right, let's see. What do we got? Because we've got a few more minutes. Get your questions, get your thoughts. We're going to have kind of a last chance here in the last 15 minutes for questions and comments and all that good stuff. Uh, oh, we got to talk about the last page of Wolverine. we got to talk about the last page of Wolverine. All right, a little sip of water, then we'll do that. Okay, so Wolverine number 26 came out today. Um, this is not a series that I'm super hot on, uh, but I did like the last page and the name of this storyline because it is called The Beast Agenda. And as we all know, in this era of X-Men comics, Beast has it coming. Beast is is now, I think, unquestionably the least likable mutant on Krakoa. Like, is anyone else even close? You know, like, Quentin Quire could be annoying, um, but not even close to Beast right now. Like, who else, who else is even in the conversation for least likable mutant outside of our former good friend, Hank McCoy? <laughs> and, like, this is not a knock on the character, right? I love Hank McCoy. Beast is super fun. Give me some, give me some Morrison era Hank McCoy. Give me some astonishing X-Men Hank McCoy. Um, I like that guy. Give me some X-Men animated series Hank McCoy. Big fan. Big fan. Uh, now the least likable character in this series. And again, like, like way more than Charles Xavier. Way more than Professor Charles is a jerk. Um, Beast is, Beast is the absolutely, absolute worst. I don't think anyone else is even like kind of close. Kind of close. Uh, okay, so... Beast is the worst, and at the end of this Wolverine comic, uh, he's trapped again at the auction house where they like selling mutant superhero things. They're literally shooting Wolverine, then pulling the bullet out, like covered in his goo, and selling that so you'd get his DNA plus a bullet. Uh, and Beast shows up making the final highest offer, possibly in the capacity of, you know, a fake fake out spy games, CIA stuff. Uh, but just because he's been so horrible for so long, it does also just feel like, oh, like he's he's got secret agendas. And what he says in the final dialogue is like, what if I could kill Wolverine for good? How much would you pay for that? Which right now kind of feels like the sort of thing he would try. <laughs> like, like that's where Beast is at. Um, so he's terrible. I, I don't have confidence that this storyline will actually resolve any of Beast's terribleness and actually have the the ramifications that have been any sort of like there needs to be a real like what do you call it um just a moment where everyone addresses how awful Beast has gotten <laughs> like, like he should be in the pit you know if it like do away with the pit post Sabretooth because it didn't work but throw Beast in whatever jail you want to throw him in Okay, no, no qualms, no questions. Um, it needs to happen. I don't have confidence the story arc would actually do it because I don't think Percy has like landed anything 
he's done in X-Force and Wolverine. But if it does, it could be exciting. If it does, it could be exciting. Uh, but yeah, it was interesting. It was a good final page, for sure. Good final page. Could we actually get some Dark Beast Beast stuff? You know, obviously a lot of us have been wanting and teasing that for a while. I'm seeing people here say Mr. Sinister is worse than Beast. I think you misunderstand me. Um, least likable. Sinister is tremendously likable. Okay? I love reading pages with Mr. Sinister on them. He's a monster. <laughs> right? Like, like if, if you're saying who is as ethically compromised as Beast, sure, it's a competition. Uh, but in terms of, like, likability, Beast is way less likable. Way less likable. The Strucker twins, that's a good pick. That's a really good pick. Yes, they are actually less likable than Beast and always will be. They are the literal worst. Uh, Sabretooth, nah, I, man, Sabretooth, I don't know, maybe it's just because Sabretooth's in the hands of, of Grey Rider, Victor Laval, um, and that series is super exciting. But, like, I'm, I'm way more on board with what Sabretooth is saying when he's on screen. You know, way, way more exciting. I like Sebastian Shawmore. I like Sebastian Shawmore. Evil Robot Moira. That's an interesting competition. Who's less likable? <laughs> Beast or Evil Robot Moira? Uh, I still I still just remember the days. I still remember the days of House of X number two. And it's like it's like we had a fling. You know, it's like we had an amazing how long does it take to read that comic? 20 minutes together. <laughs> And uh, and I still I still think of her fondly, uh, so I'm going to say Beast is still less likable. Um, okay, what do we got? Any final questions and thoughts? Do, 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 do. Black Tom is less likable. Nah, 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 nah. Black Tom's super likable. Listen, I don't like come for my chatters, but Black Tom's actually been very fun in this era. <laughs> I think that's one of Percy's stronger uh, characters. I would say. In X-Force and Wolverine, it has been uh, a good era for Black Tom, in my view. Oh, here's a good question. Any theories on why Mr. Sinister was not judged by the Celestial? That is, that's actually a really interesting question. Because, so everyone gets judged by the Celestial. And they pass or they fail. And we talked a little you know, we talked a lot about why or why not. Mr. Sinister never gets it, according to him. Never gets judged. That feels meaningful. That feels meaningful. I think that's going to come up again. <laughs> I really do. Uh, maybe the progenitor sensed in some way that Sinister was like weirdly outside the timeline because of all the hacked Moira stuff. Maybe the progenitor couldn't sense Sinister. Maybe he's just lying. That's a possibility too. But he kept complaining about it and no one was asking. <laughs> you know, he brought it up a lot and... That is interesting. I'd be curious, you know, because again, my theory right now is Sinister has lived through multiple judgment days. I suspect there's been more than one that he's been through. Has this been a recurring thing? Like, has Sinister never been judged by the Celestial? You know? Um, has Sinister never been judged by the Celestial through all of these lives? And is there something to that? I think you're right. I think that's an important question to be asking. The whys of it, beyond just his resetting the Moira timeline? I don't know. I don't know. That's an interesting question. Because, you know, like, the, the Celestial's evaluation of Sinister is, I, who cares? I mean, it's meaningless. I don't, I don't really care about the Celestial's evaluation of anyone beyond the specifics of what it meant within Judgment Day, right? Um, but I think the fact that it didn't acknowledge him at all is kind of important. You know, the other piece of this that I think is kind of important is, like, 
it kind of gets overlooked now because the progenitor, you know, magically puts everything back in the box that Sinister didn't have to reset the timeline to get through this event, you know, and to kind of restore the world and restore Krakoa and all that. Um, but what's important there is like, he, it also felt like he couldn't, you know, like that, that's, what was that about? <laughs> Why couldn't he, you know, and, and maybe Sinister doesn't have the Moira reset game on lockdown like he thinks he does or like we were led to believe maybe he would, you know, um, maybe I just don't know. All right. Any final questions, any final thoughts? Let's get him in now. Uh, I got a couple final things here, uh, that we probably don't have time to go into in detail, but I'll just throw them out here. I am currently writing a piece on DC Universe Infinite Ultra. DC Universe Infinite is DC's Marvel Unlimited, uh, where you can stream comics. And they announced this Ultra program. This was um, earlier in October, maybe near Comic-Con. And the Ultra tier, which is $100 a month right now, which compared to like Marvel Unlimited, which is like, what, 70, 75? Like it's not that crazy amount. Um, you get comics one month after they come out. Okay, so these streaming services historically have had like 12 months, six months, and now Marvel's on it. Three months after they're released in print, the books come to the streaming service. DC said, okay, for the ultra tier, you can get them just one month after. When I saw that news, I was like, this is a huge deal. <laughs> like, this is really, this feels really big. Um, because my first instinct was like, I probably don't pull hardly any DC books anymore. You know, like if I can sign up and get them digitally one month later, you know, with the exception of the stuff that I like is like an absolute must have to add to the collection or is like an oversized black label thing where the experience of reading it in print is just so different and so much better in my view than reading it digitally. You know, um, I'm like, well, I probably do that because uh, and I'm seeing here in the comments, $100 per month. No, absolutely not. $100 for the whole year. Um, these streaming services are, are priced for myself, at least very affordably. Uh, especially when you compare the amount that you would otherwise be spending on comic books, right? Um, so, you know, it's like, it's the equivalent of like, you know, two comics a month, basically. So I, I my instinct was like, wow, that's, that's enormous. You know, I'm probably not going to buy as many DC comics in print anymore. I'll just subscribe to this because I'll let my subscription lapse on, on Universe Infinite. Um, you know, I just, I wasn't using it that much, but this one, I'm like, all right, yeah, I think I'll do it. Um, I'm curious what people's thoughts are on this because it does not feel like it got a ton of attention. <laughs> it doesn't feel like people were actually raving about it or going wild over it in quite the same way that I, I thought they would be. And again, like one of the big things here with these services has always been, okay, the catalog's incredible, tremendous value, bang for your buck, great way to catch up on the history of Marvel and DC. But if you want to be current with what the state of you know current continuity is, you know, you, you got to go to your local comic shop, get things digitally, et cetera, right? Like, otherwise, you're going to be a few months behind. And if you're cool with that, cool, right? But moving it just one month back, you're barely behind. <laughs> you're barely behind at all. Um, it's really good. It's a really good, interesting idea. Now, I will say my experience of signing up was comically bad. And I've gathered is not unique to me. Um, you, like, can't pay with a credit card through the DC Comics website, or I wasn't able to, and I've seen a bunch of other people say the same thing. You can only pay with PayPal. 
<clears throat> I don't know what that's about. That's super weird and super lame. Like you have people waving money at DC. They're like hitting your hand. <laughs> hitting the money out of your hand. What's that about? That's super strange. Uh, but anyway, I, I don't say this to promote the service so much as to ask people, what do you think about it? Are you excited about it? Are you using it? I'm writing this article about it. You know, keep uh, keep your thoughts coming on that front because I'm going to be working on this over the next handful of weeks. Uh, final note, before I get to any final questions or comments here, I am theoretically <laughs> and probably in practice interviewing Ed Brubaker tomorrow. Very excited about this. I A little while back, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to try to find emails and email like all my faves. I'm like, I'm just going to do that. And, you know, if I hear back, amazing. If I don't, then what's the difference? <laughs> right? And uh, I heard back from uh, Ed Brubaker and the writer of, you know, Criminal and Fatale and way back when at Marvel, you know, the creator of a little thing like the Captain America Winter Soldier Saga, uh, a.k.a. the best Captain America run of all time. And uh, and we're doing it. We're doing it. We're going to talk Reckless, a series of graphic novels coming out right now, comics career, all that fun stuff. So if you have any really good Ed Brubaker questions, uh, tweet me or message me or something at Comic Herald because I'll, I'll try to do some fan questions if I can. Um, seems like the coolest guy. Love the work with Sean Phillips. I mean, so many good comics. I think, so my my absolute favorite is Criminal, for sure. I've got that in my top 50 favorite comics of all time. I think, yeah, I was just looking at it. So I think it's 37th. It might sound low or something, but like anything that's on my top 50, I think is just like, if you were like, that's my favorite comic of all time, I'd be like, yeah, cool. No, I totally agree. Um, yeah, Dare, the Daredevil run is fantastic as well. Seen people mention Devil and Cell Block D. Come on. Uh, but I've got Criminal the Highest, and I, so I was rereading some of that stuff. And the the Last of the Innocent is like the Archie riff mixed in with Criminal. It's so flipping good. And I reread that, and I was like, you know what? I've got to move Criminal up in my best comics of all time ranking. Like, there's no way I can't move this up. But then I looked at it, and it was like, I can't move this above anything above it. Everything else above it is too good. Like, if I like Batman Year One, not that far above it. Just It was just like everything above it was like amazing. But... 37th is, is as high as I could push it, but man, I love me some criminal. Love me some criminal. So I've been reading everything, <laughs> like absolutely everything Brubaker and Phillips have done. And uh, what a time. What a time. I've taken up um, excessive drinking. I've started solving mysteries. Uh, I have constantly have a black eye and don't quite know why. And, um, and listen, my family life is in shambles. <laughs> but other than that, the lessons I've gotten from the Brubaker and Phillips comics experience has been so fun. So that's tomorrow. That's happening. If you get questions for me, ideas, throw them my way. Throw them my way. Uh, okay, final question. I'll answer one more. Do, 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 do. Who should take Beast Place as head of X-Force if he is deposed? Sage. Next question. Anyone try using public libraries to read comics? Not in like 12 years. But once upon a time. Thoughts on the James Gunn news? Taking over DC Comics. This will be the last thing here. Uh, kind of excited about it. <laughs> I am. I didn't expect I didn't expect this, first of all. You know, I thought it'd just be like, okay, it's some producer that I've never heard of, and they're going to be the new head of DC, and we'll see if they're good, and DC's a mess, so I'd kind of doubt it. Um, James Gunn is a really interesting pick. Someone who's proven over the last, you know, however many years that, like, they make good superhero movies. And have pretty good instincts. Really like the Guardians movies. Suicide Squad was super fun. I like Super a lot with Rain Wilson. Um, so, like, it's an interesting pick. I'm into it. I gotta say, I'm into it. Shouts to James 
for <laughs> being like the only needed case study now to disprove cancel culture as well, <laughs> right? Like, like James got cancel cultured over the stupidest tweet stuff. And then like within, you know what, like six months was back on the project he was initially on and now is taking over DC. <laughs> like what a road, what a journey. A saga, better than Crisis on Infinite Earths, I would argue. The James Gunn versus Cancel Culture saga. Great stuff. Great stuff all around. Um, listen, I don't have a ton of confidence that Gunn and, and the partner here will have a heck of a lot of, I don't even want to say success so much as like support because just Warner Brothers and DC just is like such a corporate mess, it sounds like. Um, and everything they do just seems to be the wrong decision. But uh if they get the support that they need, I think I think they will make really good movies. I think they'll make really interesting movies, you know. Uh, but I'm not confident that they will get that support. You know, I, I listen. My prediction, my Dave Stinney prediction here, is in two years' time, Gun and what is it, Saffron, uh, are leaving DC, and they'll have made two really good movies. Some really interesting stuff will be in development, but they'll be leaving because of creative differences. That is my Dave Stinney prediction. Um, until like DC gets like, like new corporate leadership right now. Like, D like, come on. Speaking of Ed Brubaker, right. He's working on that Batman Cape Crusader series, Matt Reeves involved. Um, maybe JJ Abrams, I think potentially, uh, it's a Batman cartoon after Batman, the animated series, you got all these high profile Batman aficionados on it. And WB was like, nah, we don't want that on HBO max. <laughs> like, like the decision making there right now. I, I just, I don't, I don't know what to do with it. I do not know what to do with it, but I like James Gunn and I like the movies and, uh, and I'm excited about what that could mean. So, all right, I gotta call it. I gotta call it. Thanks everybody for the good questions. Thanks for being here. Be back whenever the comics are good again, hopefully next week. Thanks for joining and enjoy the comics.